LinkedIn News. Hi, I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to the This Is Working podcast, where my colleague Nina Melendez and I discuss a conversation I had on my video series, This Is Working. Nina and I take that conversation, we dissect it, and we extract our own top takeaways for you, the listener. Today, we're talking about how to find purpose and passion in your life so that you can have the career that you want to have. We talk about what managers need to do to get the most out of their people, and we talk about finding your goals and setting your goals. Stick around for the conversation. We'll be right back. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Here's Nina now. Hi, Nina. Happy New Year, Dan. Thank you so much. 2024, my God. Wow. It did come quickly. Yeah. It does. It still feels like 2023 to me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know you don't do New Year's resolutions. We've talked about this before. Yeah. You're not a resolutions person. You're Correct. not a journal person. That's right. But do you have any goals for 2024 that you'd like to share with us? Here's my thinking on goals. So I do have goals, mm-hmm. but I like to set goals throughout the year. Mm. And there's usually small goals, and I almost never tell anyone about them because then I don't mind if I then don't actually do the goals. My goals are more like, wouldn't it be cool if type goals. Got it. But I don't want to have things that make me feel bad about. If you don't achieve them. If I don't achieve them. Mm. Like, I don't want another thing on my to-do list where I'm like, oh, how did I not write in my journal every day? I'm a terrible person. So I would much rather have the kind of goals like, I'm going to try to do this. And if I don't, I'm like, ah, I wonder why I didn't. That's fine. Maybe I should stop trying to do this goal. And if I do do it, I'm like, that's cool. I was able to achieve that. Interesting. I, I'm actually so excited about who we're talking about today. It's Mark Thompson yeah. as an executive coach. Yeah. He talks about setting goals and then telling people what they are. Yes. So they hold you accountable. And you are like the complete like, no, nope, but I don't want to tell anyone. Okay. That's exactly it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I feel like Mark, I would probably not be one of Mark's favorite clients, clients <laughs> if I had him as a coach. <laughs> what about you, Nina? Are you a goal setter? I, I am a goal setter. Yep. And I do like sharing some of them to some people that I feel comfortable with. What about our listeners? Yeah, I can share one. Let's hear it. So I'm running a half marathon in April. Nice. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. And that came, oh my God, just out of pure competitiveness on my part. Because I heard someone talking about how they're running a half marathon. And I'm just like, oh my God, if you can do it, I can do it. So then literally, I think like that night I signed up and like paid the fee and I told my husband, like, we're running a half marathon in April. And he was like, okay. That's great. And that competitiveness, we're going to talk about this later, but that competitiveness is exactly what our guest today thinks you should have as Mm. part of your goal setting. This is going to make you more successful. The things that you want to be competitive about. So that's great. That's what drives you. That's perfect. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about our guest today. Mark Thompson is an executive coach. He's one of the world's best-known executive coaches. He works with Marshall Goldsmith, who is probably the world's best-known executive coach. And Mark has coached names that almost everyone here would recognize. Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, Larry Page, founder of Alphabet. Uh, The Pinterest co-founders, Ben Silverman and Evan Sharp. He coached the co-founders of Lyft. The list goes on and on. He's a New York Times bestselling author for a book called Admired, 21 Ways to Double Your Value. And he's got a new book coming out this year. But I'm still, I still can't completely wrap my head around what an executive coach does. You can think of an executive coach almost like 
a therapist and a manager combined. These are people who are just helping to make you better at what you do or what you want to do. So if your manager is really there for the company, they need you to perform your best so that the company can hit its goals. Your coach is just there for you to do your best. That is Mm. what this coach is focused on. And I think that for a lot of people in business, the idea of getting a coach feels almost like a failure. But if you are an athlete, you have a coach all the time. The world's best athletes have coaches. These are people who are the best at what they do in the most competitive environments, and they still have a coach. So I think it makes sense for people in business to have coaches all the time. The idea is just to have someone who is there listening to what your employees think of you, what your peers think of you, what you think of you, and what the coach thinks of you. And through those assessments helps make you better and helps you achieve your goals better. So when you say what your employees or what your coworkers think of you, so this executive coach is going in and talking to these people? I mean, typically an executive coach will start with a 360 review of you. They'll talk to people above you, below you, <gasps> next to you, and they get they get an understanding of how you're seen in the office, what you're good at, oh, what geez. you need to be better at. Have you gotten an executive coach before? I have not had an executive coach, but I've definitely talked to other executive coaches about people who I work with who have executive coaches. So I've been part of the 360, but I've not done it myself. So I'm guessing that many people who are listening don't have access to an executive coach, at least not one like Mark Thompson. So it's great that we have him here to kind of be our executive coach for the day. Yeah. And especially January is, according to LinkedIn data, the top month for new job searches. I think people start off with these goals of how they're going to change the year and getting a new Better, higher-paying job is one of them. Mark really talks about how we approach this search matters a lot, and he wants us to consider how we plan and build, and that it it is as important as figuring out what it is that we want to do. Let's take a listen. The first thing that happens is you start the year in a burst, (laughs) and you want to set these goals. And the goal-setting piece is really important, but that's too much like this conversation here. We're comfy. We're dreaming, we're thinking about what's possible, but that person who's going to do that stuff isn't the person making up the goals. In other words, the person who's imagining what's happening next isn't really thinking about what it's going to require to do that. So I'd say that one of the things to do is think about the goals in a new way this year. Think about your career as an investment. What have you put in so far that you could build on? that you do next, the building blocks uh, that you want to create. How can you think about ways that you could extra develop those extra skills that you need to, to put on that next layer of, of skills and ability? How about trying some things that you haven't tried before and adding that in? So there's a way to think about maybe your career to add things to the portfolio before you even take the leap into the next job. Maybe you don't need a degree. What, what you need is a few more skills, get some help. And then the other piece is, you know, Marshall Goldsmith, who's a mutual friend of ours, you know, kind of the father of executive coaching, he and I call each other every day as coaching buddies to check on our, on our goals. Hmm. Because we realize, it's like, well, why would you do that? We're both coaches. Well, we suck at achieving the goals that we set for ourselves unless we know someone else is going to talk to us about them. First, I just got to say, I love the term coaching buddies. There's something delightfully recursive about Marshall Goldsmith and Mark Thompson, two executive coaches coaching each other and discussing how well they're doing on their goals. So I'd love to listen into that conversation. But the takeaways here, I think, are really important. This idea of having somebody who is holding you responsible 
for your goals. I personally don't love that, but I think that I could probably benefit from it. So it's worth pushing through and actually having somebody who is holding me accountable to my goals. How do you think people find accountability buddies? Like, Are there people you would turn to right now and say, you're going to hold me responsible for my goals? There are people that I would, but I don't know that they would do it. I think that sometimes holding people responsible to their goals is a little intimidating. I think more people are like you than you'd think. Mm. And not everyone wants to be held accountable. And so then you suddenly become that nag or that person who's like, hey, how are you doing on this goal, by the way? Right. And they're like, please don't ask. But I do think that we should do it more often. And I'm kind of of that mindset of if there's something that you don't like doing, that's probably the thing you should be doing the most of or more of to get better at it. You know, and there's probably no a reason, question. you know. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Do you have a peer group or people that you hold accountable for their goals when they come to you? I definitely have people who hold me accountable to goals at work. Mm. And I hold other people accountable to their goals at work. But I think that's different than what Mark is talking about. This idea of setting goals for your career. I'm going to gain a new skill. I'm going to apply to these jobs. I'm going to be networking more often. I'm going to learn how to do this or get better at doing that. Those are personal goals. And I don't actually have anyone that I either hold accountable to their goals or who hold me accountable to those goals. But maybe I should this year. In fact, I'm going to set a micro goal this year of actually finding somebody throughout the year who's going to do that for me. And Dan, I'm going to hold you accountable. Oh, no. That you are going to do that. Okay. Okay. You're going to check in with me. I'm going to check in with you. Quarterly. What about a quarterly check-in? A quarterly check-in, I think, is great. That's good. Because it gives you time to to do it and not feel too much pressure. So when he talks about being action-oriented, the hardest part is like getting off that couch to do it. What is the best way to go about that? I think maybe even just the term goals is too much. I think it is, you know, this idea, it seems very big and weighty and you write it down. And I mean, it's like, go back to your running a half marathon. You don't just say, I'm going to run a half marathon in April. You got to start then chunking it up. You've probably heard that saying, you know, how do you eat an elephant? You do it one bite at a time. I think that's true with goals. It's this question of what's the bites that I need to take here. And then when you start doing it in these small consumable ways, The goal doesn't seem so daunting. Mm -hmm. It's just, I've got to make three phone calls this week. Mm -hmm. That seems easier. It's getting you towards your goal. And then maybe you go back and you say like, actually, is this getting me closer to my goal? Do I need to reevaluate some of those steps? But the steps are the key, not the goal. So where do skills come into this conversation? I think that his approach about collecting skills as a way to achieve your goal is a really important one. Because the goal itself is, it might be ephemeral. Maybe it's not even a great goal. Maybe you weren't sure why you set it. But if you can collect skills on the way to achieving that goal or not achieving that goal, those skills never go away. And those skills can lead you in a lot of different areas. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more on my conversation with executive coach Mark Thompson. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around 
with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. You know, when Mark came in, I thought we were going to have a very clear-cut conversation about how to achieve your goals. Here's step A, here's step B, now you've reached point C, which is where you want to be. But Mark took it much deeper. Let's take a listen. What I realized is that we hadn't done enough homework to understand who we wanted to be valued by hmm. and how. Think about the purpose that you want to be maybe re-upping on. That, that changes through your life. I don't know about you, but I'm not on the same path that I was when we started our careers. Right. So that also changes seasonally uh, as well. Think about what might be those things that you'd secretly do for free that you could bring more of into the work that you do. Hmm that private, we, I call it the three Ps, purpose, passion, and, and performance. When I was writing the book, I met the, the, the Dalai Lama and presidents of countries and these incredible achievers at the World Economic Forum. And the Dalai Lama really surprised me. I said, the secret of life, I figured he'd say love or just love your brother or he said discipline. I said, oh, well, that's, that's a drag. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't want to hear about it that. And he, what he explained to me that I wrote about, we did research around it, was that you're really motivated by three things and if they all come together, you are the triple threat. And that's having that passion, that, that thing that you'd secretly do for free, some element of the work that you're doing needs to be the thing that you just find yourself getting lost in if you can. Secondly, if you can be connected to something that is a bigger community of purpose than you are, uh, it could be a community, it could be a customer, it could be a faith, it could be something about your life that feels larger than you but includes you. And then, Something that you wouldn't mind to keep score at that kind of gets your competitive or winning spirit going. It's amazing. Jim Kim was the president of the World Bank, one of the who was the first doctor to run the World Bank. He's the, one of the most competitive people I've ever met. Here he is in the field helping people. For me, I found my purpose because I realized that if I could help make Jim's life better, he can save 20 million lives. If I can make his life better, that's when I decided I'd become a coach. Hmm. If I can't make uh, Evan Sharp build a company like Pinterest, he had the imagination. He understands how passions run deep and how they want to be shared with your communities. If I can make his life better, how many millions of people can pursue their passion? So sometimes we're the vessel. Sometimes we're the mirror, not the light, that helps reflect for other people their greatest gift. And so I think that ends up being part of the conversation that's worthy of having with that community of friends, those loving critics as you're thinking about your goals, yeah, so that you screen them. Uh, and as you think about them in the context of something that you're passionate about, purpose-driven about, and maybe would be willing to keep score at. Nina, when I was very early in my career, I was at Time Inc., and the way I was told to measure success there was by ceiling tiles. Everyone had an office. I can remember some older person at work was like, look, Dan, here's how this works. When they give you an office, look up, count the tiles, and that will tell you how highly valued you are. So my goals were based on 
getting a window and getting those ceiling tiles. That's not a sustainable way to measure success. I really like what Mark has to say here. These three Ps feel like a much better way to achieve success that doesn't require your employer to grant you some land. This is about you internally feeling great about what you are doing with your professional life. And if I had to boil it down to one of those three Ps, I love this idea of passion. To me, this question of what would you do for free is the ultimate one and not telling your employer. So for you, passion is the one that really stuck. I think so, yeah. There's been a lot that's been written on this idea of flow. What is it that you do during your day where you look up and you're like, I cannot believe an hour has passed? That's being in the flow. And that's where you want to spend your time. And I think of that very similarly to passion. Hmm. So yeah, I think I would say passion. But which of the three Ps speaks to you? I think it also would be passion. Hmm. Yeah. And a close second is purpose. I think the idea of doing something that I feel is very purposeful is super important. But I don't know how long I could do it unless I was absolutely passionate about it. Yeah, but purpose helps. Purpose helps, I think, in those times when you don't have passion. Because you you can't have all passion all the time. Right. So when it wanes or when maybe you start to doubt, purpose helps you go, okay, well, I'm doing this for a greater goal, for a greater achievement. I'm trying to contribute to the world or whatever it is that feels purposeful. And that can kind of help you get through the valleys of the passion. I don't think I could work at a company that I had a even if I had a very strong tie to the purpose, Hmm. even if that company's values lined up with my own and what they were trying to achieve was exactly what I wanted to achieve, if I was doing work internally that I wasn't passionate about. You know, one of the things, not that Mark would ever, I don't think he would endorse this line of thinking. It is the whole idea is these three Ps have to go together. What you should be looking for, and if anyone, it's New Year's, you're thinking about what you want to do with your life, you should figure out each one of those Ps as a way to understand where you want to go. Mm. So Dan, when did you know that journalism was your passion? When did you have that thing, that kind of, that spark that made you go, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life? I've realized very early that I was passionate about journalism. I was 15. I remember being, I think I was a sophomore in high school. I had a teacher who had held me after class and asked me to investigate. He knew I was in the school paper. I just joined it. And he said, can you, I think you should look into this thing going on at school where there was, it was about funding, the, the, the school was funding more administrators than they were teachers. He thought that was wrong and he wanted me to look into where the funding was going. And I just remember being like, this adult is asking me, a kid, to do something that he feels like I can uniquely do or that I can do and he can't. And That like opened up a whole world for me. I was like, this is awesome. I want to do this forever. Mm -hmm. Maybe I didn't realize I want to do it forever, but I knew I liked it. And I hadn't found anything that I really liked at that point. Other than rapping. Other than rapping, of course. (laughs) And so that was the point where the passion kicked in. And then and I just loved it. And I would spend weekends working on the paper. And I loved assigning people to stories. And it just became who I was. It became part of my persona. So that whole working on weekends, it's like doing the thing that you're not paid for. Exactly. It was a... For a high school kid to spend weekends pasting up a newspaper, I mean, that, I think, tells you where your passion is. You know, Mark's focus is very much on the people that he's coaching. It's a very one-on-one relationship. But he also has advice for how to manage other people, how to make sure that you are taking the best of you and getting the best out of your teams. So let's listen to what he suggests. I think it's best to get to know your team better than ever. 
How, how deeply do you know every member of your team? Do you know what really lights their sky? What ignites them from a standpoint of their passions, their sense of purpose, and their performance? It goes back to this opening idea of understanding what they value and what they're looking for in their careers and seeing if there's a way that we can unlock the opportunity within the organization. There might not be. Mm. And yet sometimes we're so busy doing what we do, we're not learning why people are doing it hmm. and what they'd love to be contributing uh, to that work and, and how we could all work together to make it better. I remember it, there was one story in a publishing company where they couldn't get anybody to do the documentation on the software. And that was just a dreadful, boring thing to do. Like, who wanted to do that job? And finally, when we understood why they needed to do that, they just needed a guide so that people understood how to you know, troubleshoot that particular software, they found somebody here who loved to do video work. Well, she ended up being the one who was, they didn't write it up, they recorded it, they edited it, and they got the job done in a new way. The project that nobody wanted for three months got done in three days. Mm -hmm. And so why not make the assumption that there might be a better way, a more passionate way, a more purposeful way to do the work that we're being tasked to do, but maybe not the way it was assigned so that we could be the linchpin to, to make a huge difference. I think this is your year. I think this is gonna be the year where there are more opportunities than ever to think creatively about creating those other attributes, those other passions and, and purpose that you can be living in the work that you're doing. And then get help. Dan, what's an experience you've had where a very invested, caring manager made you accomplish something that you didn't think you could do or that you even wanted to do? I can think of times where I've had somebody push me to do something that felt well outside of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And the best example I can give happened at LinkedIn. When we launched original content on LinkedIn, at the time, my boss, uh, Ryan Roslansky, the host of The Path, had convinced the company that we should have long-form posting. This was totally new to LinkedIn. We never had anything like that. It was unclear if it was going to work. And he sold this idea to his CEO and the founder of LinkedIn, the co-founder of LinkedIn, and they agreed to it hesitantly, I would say. They were like, Ryan, you can do this, but we are not convinced this makes a lot of sense. And I remember Ryan left that meeting, called me up. He said, we're on, we're going to do this. And I was like, great. What's our next plan? He's like, you figure it out. <gasps> you know, you figure out who are the people we're going to get on and how we're going to get them to do this. And that sort of, hey, this is your, you know, this is the pool, dive in deep, and I know you can swim, was awesome. It was scary, and it was awesome. And it was so much fun to start putting this together. And I realized, like, he was like, I trust you. I know you can do this. Come up with a plan. And then it started coming up with a plan, and it turns out I could do it. Mm -hmm. And I knew how to do it. Mm. And so that idea of being pushed to do something without any kind of guardrails and without this sense of here is how I need you to achieve it absolutely set me up for everything else I did in the 11 years beyond that. I think about that all the time. Like mm. That was something that I try to do with the people I work with is a lot of times to say, like, I think this is a good idea, but I don't know how to achieve it. You figure it out. And tell me if it's a bad idea also, but you've got this. Mm. Would you say it was his unwavering belief in you? Or would you say that it was that he gave you no guardrails? I think it was this belief that I could do this. He said something like, you're the pro. You figure it out. So that instilled confidence, or was that like, did you feel just pressure? I think I felt both. Hmm. I felt like, yeah, I can do this. But also, can I do this? Mm -hmm. It turns out I could. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had a manager push you beyond where you're comfortable or knows what you're great at in a way that you weren't sure that you were great at it? Or do you wish you had that? I wish I had that. Interesting. 
I have had to go to managers and be like, please let me do this thing. So I've, it's been sort of the opposite where I've like had to kind of ad- advocate for myself and put it before a manager. I have had managers who've been like, okay, great, go ahead and do it. But I don't think I've I have not had a manager who's just come to me and been like, I've got this thing for you to do, and I believe you can do it and go forth and conquer. One of Mark's points is that as a manager, you should know your people so well that you know what it is that they're good at and what drives them. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if in my case, that was what was going on. Ryan and I had enough of a relationship that he was very comfortable saying, Mm -hmm. this is it, this is yours. And I think of someone I did this at work recently with where there's a big new project we want to do, and I just handed it off to somebody Mm -hmm. and said, this is it, this is a big idea, I know you can do this. But it's because I have seen her operate in other situations, Mm -hmm. and I know that she's got this. I think it's really exciting as an employee when your manager does that because like, it makes you feel like you are being entrusted with this thing, and you feel great about wanting to pull through for your for your manager. Like, oh, you gave me this task and it's and you believe that I can do it and it's really big. It's like, okay, I'm I'm gonna show you I can do it. Yeah. So here's the flip side to that, Dan. Is it fair to ask managers to know their direct reports that intimately and that closely? And is it also fair to expect them to be able to do that for their direct reports? I mean, it's a massive ask. I would like to say yes, it's required for managers to do this. But on top of everything else you've got to get done, this idea of building deep relationships with your team, especially if you're in a culture where you're changing teams all the time or you've got so much that you've got to get done. I think it is important. It is important, but it is, is, it, important, re- is but it realistic? It is realistic. Is my thing. I don't know, I, but I will tell you that it makes you a better manager if you could pull it off. Mm-hmm. I think it's really smart to do it. And maybe it comes over time. The other part is if you can stick with teams long enough, you've worked with people long mm-hmm. enough. Those relationships get built, that information Mm -hmm. gets distributed, that information gets communicated. And so maybe you just learn your team's Mm -hmm. needs and Mm -hmm. passions that way. But it's definitely helpful. Yeah. And then understanding that you can't do it every time. But if you can, you know, give people the projects that they're passionate about. Great things happen. In advance. Yeah. As we kick off the new year, Nina and I really want to know what your learning goals are. And more importantly, we want to know how can we help you level up as a leader? So let us know on LinkedIn. Use the hashtag, this is working. You can also send us an email to thisisworking at linkedin.com. Write in and tell us how to help you make the most of your 2024. Please share this podcast episode with a friend and review it. It helps new listeners find us. If you want to hear more from Mark Thompson, be sure to check out his video conversation with Dan on the LinkedIn News page. There's a link in the show notes. This is Working is a production of LinkedIn News. Our team includes Sarah Storm, Max Miller, Stephen Valdivia, Asaf Gidron, Taisha Henry, Andres Cordona, and Lolia Briggs. Joe DeGiorgi mixes our show. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. And our head of original programming is Courtney Coop. I'm Nina Melendez, senior producer. And I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Be well and stay curious.